Hello and welcome to Movement, a weekly podcast for South Aussie Baptists to listen and imagine together. Each fortnight, Melinda Cousins interviews a leader from within our movement and then asks them to share one of their recent sermons with us the following week. back with Ellen Beasy again. Ellen, last week we had a chat about your role and your passions, and so today we've asked you to share a sermon with us. Can you tell us why you chose this sermon for us to listen to today? I can. So I chose a sermon from Habakkuk because I thought you might not get many from Habakkuk. It's not a story or a book that I turn to very often, and it was a really interesting challenge to preach from. I really like, uh, I say that now in hindsight, I like the sermons that God really invites me to wrestle through personally Mm -hmm. before I preach them. And this was a real doozy. So I like when I'm really preaching from experience of something. And um, my heart in this sermon is to encourage us to choose our postures uh, before God and choose postures of faith and trust and joy either in hard moments or before hard moments come. And I was really struck by some of the words of Habakkuk where he is looking to the future, hearing from God that things will get better a long time from now, but in the short to medium term, it's going to be tough. And that just really spoke to me about the season that we're in now, where there are economic pressures Mm. and many reasons that things are looking like they could be really challenging. Um, And yet God is saying, I'm still in control. Things are still going to come uh, right side up in my kingdom. And I thought that was an important message for us to reflect on now. Fantastic. So as we prepare to listen to it, is there anything about the context of when and where it was preached that might be helpful for us to know? So this was preached at Ross Trevor, my amazing home church that I'm proud to be a member of. And it was preached late last year as a part of the Habakkuk series, which I refer to. So I'll give you a bit of a uh, what happened beforehand so people understand a bit more about the book. Great. Looking forward to hearing it. Let me do a quick recap to help you get the lay of the land, because when I mentioned to people I was preaching on Habakkuk, uh, lots of people laughed uh, outside of church and said that they'd never even heard of the book, let alone read it. So here's the lay of the land of Habakkuk. Habakkuk is a book written by a a man with the same name. Habakkuk uh, lived 600 years before the birth of Christ. He was an Israelite man living in Judah. He is a prophet, but he's a really unusual prophet, because instead of bringing complaints and warnings from God to God's people about God's justice, he brings his own complaints to God and asks God to act with justice. And then he brings an exhortation to the people of his generation to trust God. So what complaints does he bring to God? Habakkuk has taken a really long, honest look at his community's reality. Rather than looking away from the corrupt and unjust time in history in his nation or ignoring or downplaying what he sees or hiding under the covers, he faces the situation and he is angry. He is sad about what he sees and so he responds. The way he responds is to bring his complaint, all of his confusion and disappointment and heartache straight to God and God answers God answers Habakkuk in a way that gives him a backstage glimpse into what God is doing to address his concerns and complaints. God tells him that he is going to bring the Babylonians into power over the Israelites. Now, Habakkuk did not have this in mind. This is not his idea of good timing or a good solution to the lack of Israel's faith, to their corruption or violence. The Babylonians are far worse than them, far more evil, bloodthirsty and idolatrous. 
He wonders what on earth God is doing. And so he complains directly to God again. Then I love what he does next. Dan shared with us last week that he positions himself up high, up on the city walls. In a position of expectancy, he stays there. And he just waits for another response from God. We don't know how long he waited. We don't know what everyone else thought about him waiting up where he was, taking his position. But regardless of time passing, regardless of the opinions of other people, he keeps this expectant position where he has the best view and the best perspective. And he waits. So in this expectant place, God answers him again. Something about the story of Habakkuk to me is so gracious about the idea of a human being complaining to God and being answered, complaining about the answer and then being answered again. So God answers, explaining that he will be using Babylon for his purposes, but that he will also not allow them to go on ruling forever. They will bring about their own downfall by their deeds of violence, exploitation and abuse. No kingdom like that can go on forever. God won't let it. Chapter 2 closes with God finishing his second answer to Habakkuk. His answer is a resounding affirmation that he is the Lord. He is in control and he is to be the one that we set our attention on, not the Babylonians in our lives. And so we come to chapter 3 and this morning I want to draw out some important postures that we can learn that will help us to follow God through everything that life throws at us. Posture is a bit of a thing for me. I'm always working on it. I'm very conscious of it. It seems that all the women in my family, especially from my mum's side, shrink and bend a little bit with every passing year. And I saw my nana the other day and she was hunched over the dishes and I thought, well, she didn't even spend hours on Instagram looking down. So I'm trying to do something about my posture. Having good posture is really important. Standing the way we were designed to stand takes pressure off your spine and muscles. It helps you to breathe deeply and think clearly. Have you ever noticed how we're influenced by other people's posture? I know that whenever my friends were physios or chiropractors or dancers are around, I feel like I grow three centimetres taller just by looking at them. Seeing them hold themselves tall and upright influences me to choose better posture. But standing tall is not the only way that we can choose our posture. Does anyone remember in 2012 there was a a bit of a trend going around? The second most popular TED Talk in history was by Amy Cuddy who shared why we should all stand like Wonder Woman. The concept was a life hack to help people change their biochemistry, their thought patterns and the way they responded to stress and pain just by changing the way they held their bodies. Amy and her team measured the impact of people standing in power poses or in poses associated with weakness. And after standing like this for two minutes, they found that people's testosterone increased significantly, their cortisol dropped significantly, they took more risks, their pain threshold was higher, they were able to think more abstractly and they were able to do better in stressful situations like interviewing for a job. So it swept the world. People from CEOs to surgeons to teachers to kids' footy clubs were preparing for stressful situations by adopting a power posture. It's true that how you physically posture your body has an impact. And our spiritual posture is no different. We can choose spiritual postures before and during stressful situations that can help us to deal with incredibly difficult circumstances and to become who God calls us to be. 
As believers, the way that we posture and position ourselves is countercultural. It's surprising and weird and different to the world. So let's jump into chapter 3 of Habakkuk and see how we can best posture ourselves to follow God in all that life throws at us. In chapter 3, Habakkuk has a response to God's second answer for him. But this time it isn't another complaint. He's not saying again, are you kidding me, God? This time his response is a prayer. He begins by saying in verse 2, Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. Repeat them in our day. Habakkuk has chosen to remember. Now Habakkuk has a lot to worry about. He was already alarmed by his nation's behaviour. That's what drew him to complain to God in the first place. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> then God told him that things were going to get worse before they get better. So there's a lot for him to be thinking through and feeling justifiably stressed by. But instead of staying in a very understandable place of discouragement, fear and dread, he turns his attention to what history says. His active remembrance of what God has done before causes him to praise God and to have hope and expectancy, to ask God, do it again. Habakkuk continues in verse 3 with a posture of praise. We can read a poem of worship, a strongly worded, explicit, colourful, exuberant song to be sung to a full orchestra here in Habakkuk 3. Lord, I've heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. Repeat them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. God came from Taman, the Holy One from Mount Paran. His glory covered the heavens and his praise filled the earth. His splendor was like the sunrise. Rays flashed from his hand where his power was hidden. Plague went before him. Pestilence followed his steps. He stood and he shook the earth. He looked and made the nations tremble. The ancient mountains crumbled and the age-old hills collapsed. But he marches on forever. I saw the tents of Cushion in distress and the dwellings of Midian in anguish. These are our ancient wilderness adversaries of the Israelite people. Were you angry with the rivers, Lord? Was your wrath against the streams? Did you rage against the sea? When you rode your horses and your chariots to victory, you uncovered your bow, you called for many arrows. You split the earth with rivers, the mountains saw you and writhed. Torrents of water swept by, the deep roared and lifted its waves on high. Sun and moon stood still in the heavens. At the glint of your flying arrows, at the lightning of your flashing spear, in wrath you strode through the earth and in anger you threshed the nations. You came out to deliver your people to save your anointed one. You crushed the leader of the land of wickedness. You stripped him from head to foot. With his own spear you pierced his head. When his warriors stormed out to scatter us, gloating as though about to devour the wretched who were in hiding. You trampled the sea with your horses, churning the great waters. I heard and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. This poem references some of God's biggest saving works in human history on his people's behalf at the time of Habakkuk's writing. It describes God creating the world, sending plagues to the slave-driven Egyptians rather, who have been oppressing the Israelites to convince them to let them go. It calls our minds to the miracle that God did 
in Joshua when he stopped the sun so that his people could fight a victorious battle. It recounts the amazing way that God used nature to stop the army of the Egyptians when they chased after the Israelites through the Red Sea, intent on killing their runaway slaves. All of this is recounted by Habakkuk for his contemporary audience as proof that if God has said that he will use the Babylonians to accomplish his purposes and will ultimately save his people, that his justice might be slow but it's certain, that his promise can be trusted. Now, upon our reading of this, as a westernised audience, in a safe, prosperous land, we can be a bit shocked and a bit taken aback. It's violent. It's vindictive. But we have to read this through the eyes of an ancient Israelite, an ancient Israelite community, 600 years before the birth, life, death and resurrection of Christ. This is the prayer of an Old Testament Jewish man whose history is one of being terribly oppressed then miraculously freed. This is the prayer of someone who has just been told that more violent oppression is on its way. This is exactly what he would be looking to God for, for God to free the Israelites once again with mighty acts of power. We too can be historically grounded in God's mighty acts of deliverance. This song is just a 600 BC version of the songs that we sing about the mighty acts of God. We sing songs about the saving act of Jesus on the cross, about God's amazing grace, about how he's a good, good father. We sing songs about our trust in God with songs like Do It Again, which follow the same pattern of remembrance, praise and expectation. We sing words like this, waiting for change to come, knowing the battle's won, for you have never failed me yet. Your promise still stands Great is your faithfulness. I'm still in your hands. This is my confidence. You've never failed me yet. I know the night won't last. Your word will come to pass. My heart will sing your praise again. Jesus, you're still enough. Keep me within your love. My heart will sing your praise again. I've seen you move. You move mountains, and I believe I'll see you do it again. You made a way where there was no way. And I believe I'll see you do it again. I think words like these are the secret to maintaining a posture of praise. Worship is not just the thing we do on a Sunday morning. It's not just a warm-up for my sermon. Worship in all of its forms orients us around what is true and causes us to remember. I've got a little crumpled up paper note stuck on the back of my bedroom door that says, Worship equals your secret weapon. And I wrote that one day in a moment of inspiration after a horrible day where everything was really tough and really dark. And I don't even remember how, but I found myself worshipping to some music on my phone. And I felt that within a minute of worshipping and saying the true words about who God is and who he's made me to be, my whole perspective had changed in just a minute. And so I stuck it on there for me to remember every time I open my door when things are really hard, that worship is a secret weapon for helping me to put my attention on God and not my circumstances. We talked last week about worship being a weapon. We sang about how worship is how we are to fight our battles. I find worship, to music particularly for me, but worship in general of who God is, essential for my posture of praise. We all need reminders to stand in this posture of praise. Maybe you need an alarm on your phone 
or a prayer partner or a note on your door to remind you, whatever it takes, we need things that jolt us out of our circumstances and remind us to praise. So this morning, take a moment now to cast your mind back, to remember what it is that you have to praise God for. What are some of the ways that God has shown his goodness and power in your life recently? What about in the lives of your friends, your community here? It's so easy to forget. <clears throat> when I think of the last year alone, I can think of six things that my friends and I have seen God's ridiculous, miraculous goodness in. And yet, if I don't stop, these huge God acts are easily forgotten. When God moves, it feels like we'll never forget. We'll never stop praising him, but life happens and our next need arises. So we have to choose to remember. Has he healed you? Has he restored a broken relationship? Has he guided you with spiritual wisdom? Has he flooded your heart with peace in a storm? Has he changed your life with an encounter of his love? How has he been a good father to you? How has he been your saviour king? What can you remember that can help you to step into a posture of praise? Now Habakkuk's posture of praise enabled him to go from a posture of praise to a posture of trust. His praise moved him from being a problem-focused person to a God-focused person. And like Habakkuk, when we recount God's goodness and we take a posture of praise, history grounds us and helps us to know that we can trust God in and in spite of all of our circumstances. After remembering, Habakkuk leads his people and us in a rousing exhortation to trust God when the world and your circumstances tell you that your truth is misplaced and that every situation you face is futile. This is what Habakkuk's posture of trust sounds like in practice. In verse 17, we read him say, though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet will I rejoice in the Lord. Habakkuk is describing economic disaster that wouldn't just impact the people whose fig trees didn't bloom, but everyone around them in their local economy. He's described food security issues that have no fix. If the crops fail, you can't just duck out to the supermarket and have what you need for your community. He has outlined what it will look like when the plundering Babylonians ride into town and steal the Israelites' sheep and cattle for themselves, leaving them without meat, sacrifices, food, or the means for clothing and shelter. He has said, though, though all these disasters will likely happen, even when they happen, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. He is declaring his trust in God, he is putting his stake down in the ground. He is choosing his posture of trust now in advance. In worship, he is adopting a posture of trust. And Habakkuk is using these examples to point to his trust in God's promise to deal with the Babylonians and restore his justice to his people. He's saying, even though what I'm expecting and waiting for hasn't happened, 
even when it hasn't happened at the time or in the way that it makes sense to me or when it's happening for the people around me, I trust that you'll do what you've said you'll do. Even when there is no sign that you're on the move and no sign that you're taking action. When we read these verses, it's really easy for the fig trees and the olive crops of our own lives to come into our minds. So I wonder this morning, where do you feel fruitless? Where do you feel like you're behind in the season? What promises of God's peace and presence and hope do you need to ask him for a reminder of, to know that your trust is not in vain? Trusting God can be really hard. I know that when I trust God, sometimes I don't do it with a smile on my face. Sometimes I do it begrudgingly because I'm out of all my options. Sometimes I do it with such fear in my heart that it's evident in my disposition to anyone who looks at me. So Habakkuk's next posture is the one that challenges me the most. Habakkuk moves from a posture of praise to a posture of trust to a posture of joy. In the second part of verse 18, he says, I will be joyful in God my saviour. When the worst case scenario happens, when everything seems lost, Habakkuk resolves not only to trust in God, but to be joyful in him. Habakkuk chooses joy well before he has any reason to experience it in the way that the world tells us we should experience joy. He chooses joy when there is little circumstantial evidence coming, even in the future, that he should. This is inspiring and encouraging and really, really challenging precisely because it is completely unnatural. Choosing joy does not come naturally to anyone. It doesn't come naturally to leaders or teachers or parents or preachers. This year has been a really hard one for me. It's been a year of grief and pain and overwhelm and fear in many directions. I've cried in the hospital with my sister after she lost her first son. I've sat in doctor's rooms with family members, with doctors who have no answers. And I have prayed desperately with friends for their circumstances to change. And I have even just this week cried out in Habakkuk's words to God, how long, O Lord? Why? What are you even doing? This is really normal. It's normal for it to be hard for us to choose to trust God. And I know that for many of us in this room We might be hearing Habakkuk's choice to posture himself in joy and you might be finding this a hard message to hear. An impossible ask even, just one step too far for God. And I want you to know that as the person up the front, I really get that. I see that reality. Sometimes I live in that reality and I know what that reality feels like. I have found that joy is a really hard posture to jump to from nothing. To jump to without the ones preceding it. Remembering, praising and trusting. Remembering God's faithfulness is the only way that we can trust Him. And trusting Him is the only way that we can lift our eyes and choose joy in our circumstances. For those who don't know how they can make it one more day, Habakkuk speaks to us about one last posture, a posture of strength. Not our own strength, but strength that comes only from God as a gift. In verse 19, Habakkuk says, 
The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. Habakkuk ends his prayer, his song, his prophecy with confidence in something that is not something I'm used to asking God for in prayer. Confidence that God would give him feet like a deer. And this image is one that's a gift to those of us who feel surrounded in life by mountains and valleys and tough terrain. Terrain so tough that we aren't sure that we can take another step. We just want to be airlifted out of here. Humans are not made for such terrain. But deer, deer have been designed so that when scaling impossibly high mountainsides and rocky landscapes, their feet never slip. God has made them incredibly with a weird ability to put their back feet exactly where they chose to put their front feet, never once misstepping where they're going. If they decide on the path they're taking with their front feet, their back feet follow exactly. Deer do not make missteps. In times of danger, they can run securely without getting off track. They can scale up to eight metres at a time up a mountainside in a single leap and bound. They can escape predators as they jump up the mountain. And Habakkuk leads us in trusting that God will strengthen us. He'll strengthen you like a deer. I know that many of us are praying that God would level the mountains that we see, clear our path, make it flat and easy just for a bit. And it's fine to pray that. It's good to pray that. But because life isn't always like that in our broken world, we can also broaden the prayer that we find ourselves praying. We can trust in God's goodness in our situation, not just in Him changing our circumstance. We have a God who promises to enable us to walk hard paths, to give us sure-footedness and his strength to face whatever is before us. And the sure-footedness that Habakkuk was so confident in wasn't just for the tough terrain of his life, of his circumstances and the, the things that worried him. Some scholars have translated verse 19 in this way. The Lord God is my strength, my source of courage, my invincible army. He has made my feet steady and sure like deer's feet and makes me walk forward with spiritual confidence on my high places of challenge and responsibility. And those words really stood out to me when I was preparing my message. On my high places of challenge and responsibility. Your strength, your gift of deer feet from God, your postures of praise and trust and joy are not just for you. Each of us, no matter what challenges we're facing, are always at the same time facing places of responsibility that God has put us in. This year, our theme is that everyone has influence. Every single person in our community and in our world has influence, whether we know it or not, whether we like it or not. We are influencing the people around us. And the way that we posture ourselves influences the people around us. We either um, influence fellow believers to strengthen their postures, or we influence those who don't yet know God to wonder about us, to wonder how on earth are they standing firm and trusting and having joy and strength in what is facing them. When we take a posture of praise, we are positioned for influence that leads people to Jesus. Others will stand taller and consider lifting their own hands in trust when they see you. 
a posture of trust and praise will see the world question us when all of our circumstances say we should have a posture not of praise, but of fear and retreat and defeat and hopelessness. Even though things are not yet as we wish that they would be, and as we know they will be one day when Jesus comes again, Habakkuk shows us the postures we can choose to stand and climb the mountains, to choose to trust in our God until his reign and rule come fully. Friends like Habakkuk, we long for the day of God's ultimate justice to come. We say with millions of other believers, come Lord Jesus, come. The last thing we learn from Habakkuk is in a tiny postscript at the end of his book. I don't think in any sermon I've ever given have I focused on this tiny little line in a book. But when I was reading it, I noticed that different translations put it differently. The first one, a bit boring, didn't really take my attention for the director of music on my stringed instruments. The next one said to the choir director, but the message translation puts it this way, for congregational use with a full orchestra. Church family, we are all in this together. As a congregation, we are all relying completely on Jesus and his strength to sustain us. We have a shared hope and all of our trust is in Jesus alone. We are not just to posture ourselves in helpful ways, we are to position ourselves in community. Showing up here is important. Talking to people afterwards over coffee is important. Being real and vulnerable, inviting people to your house when it's messy and it's not decorated in the latest fashion and you don't know what to cook is important. We do life in community so that we can help each other to stand straight. We are to talk and encourage and share and learn about God together. And we are to pray with one another and worship with our lives together. As a congregation, we stand together. So let's do that now. Would you stand with me? I want to take some time to close to pray because I know that there are some significant needs and circumstances facing us. And I know that if I know about some of them that I don't know about a whole lot more. So we're going to pray. If this is a new thing for you, if you've never prayed before, um, you don't have to pray this way, but we're going to do it this way this morning. We're going to pray with our eyes shut. Um, And if you feel led, I've been finding it really helpful as I've been preparing my message to get my body in alignment with what I'm telling my mouth and my heart that I believe. And so if you want to join me in adopting those postures, everyone's eyes are going to be shut. No one's going to know what they are. If you forget, you can look at me and see what my body's doing. And I encourage you to join uh, join in prayer with me as we care for our community in this way. So let's pray. Father God, we do remember, we choose to remember the amazing works that you have done on behalf of your people Israel, on behalf of the Gentiles and the early church in our community and in each of our lives, God. We remember who you are. We choose to remember who you say we are. And we choose to remember that your ultimate justice is coming just as Habakkuk reminds us. God, because we remember, we praise you. We choose to praise you when days are easy and we choose to praise you in days that are busy and we choose to praise you in days where we're under the covers and can't get out of bed. God, we choose to praise you when your way of redeeming us and saving us seems really clear and when your movements on the earth seem really confusing. And God, out of praise, we trust you. 
because we know who you are and that you are worthy of our trust above our circumstances, God. I pray that you would remind each one of us today that our circumstances are yelling at us to trust them for the future, but we want to trust you, God. We want to choose to trust you, whether it's easy or hard in this moment. And God, because we know that we can trust you and because you want us to trust you and you're for us, not against us, you're working on our behalf, you're working behind the scenes, God, we choose joy in you. In the myriad of circumstances facing every person in this room, God, we know that no circumstance is so bad that it excludes our ability to choose your joy. And we know that you give us, Lord, your strength to do this. So Father God, would you strengthen us within our inner beings? Would you cover our minds and our hearts with your peace? Would you steady us as we face what's coming at us in life, God? The things that we know about and the things that we don't know about. We pray that you would give us feet like deer to step where you call us to tread, to step boldly, to step strongly. We wish, Lord, and we pray that the circumstances that are mountains in people's lives, we know that some of those mountains you will move. And so, Jesus, we commit those mountains to you and ask you in your name, Lord, for your kingdom to be seen even now in those circumstances. And for the circumstances that, beyond our understanding, we know you will leave the mountains for, we trust in you for the strength to climb them. We trust in you for the strength to stand. So, Lord, I pray for every hurting heart here, every doubting heart, every wondering heart, that they would know you as their beautiful, good, loving God. And we trust our family and our community and every person that each one of us loves to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to Movement today. If you enjoyed this show, then please take a second to give us five stars, tap subscribe and tell a friend. We are available wherever you get your pods. Movement is a podcast from Baptist Church's SA, hosted by Melinda Cousins and produced by Ruth Grace and Kathy Turner. We'll be back next week with another special guest. <laughs>